At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought, I really wish I had someone to point me in the right direction? So uh, a few years ago when we moved to Michigan, I started to get into, uh, into mountain biking. In Michigan, it's more like trail riding until you go north. Um, but, but it's been a fun experience for me to take my bike out and go finding trails and ride through through the woods. And uh, last year, last summer, I was kind of exploring some different trail options and some different things. And I had heard about a really cool trail up at Stony Creek uh, Metro Park up near Clinton Township. And uh, and so I'd seen some videos on YouTube of this trail, and they had a section of this trail called the Roller Coaster, which as a mountain biker sounds really fun. Maybe not for you, but it sounded fun to me. And I thought, oh, I'm going to head up there. I want to ride the roller coaster. And so I, I took off one day. I had some free time. I went up there by myself, and it was right after, if you remember last summer, there were some major storms that had kind of blown through our area. And so when I got up there, the trails were a little bit in kind of some disarray. Um, and I had never been there before, so I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And so I kind of glanced at what I thought was a map, and then I headed out to hit the trails, and it was not the best day of mountain biking. Lo and behold, I, I never really found the roller coaster. One part was closed. I rode around. I ended up riding around for an hour and only riding about a quarter of the trail. I just rode the paths that went around the mountain biking trail. And I remember leaving that day when my time was kind of up, like, man, I really, I wish I like had somebody that could help me figure out how to actually navigate this trail. So Fast forward to this summer, my buddy Nick and I decided to head up there and ride together. And so we got there and we were getting ready to ride and we found a map that was actually a guide to the trail. And it was like, oh, that was awesome. And so we were looking at this map and it's all this interconnected different trails that you could explore. And so we were trying to figure out what we were gonna do and how we were gonna ride. And there was a guy that all of a sudden came up right next to us looking at as we were looking at the map. And he said, hey, have you guys ever been here before? And I was like, oh, I was here once, but it was a mess and I didn't know what I was doing. And he was like, oh, oh, really? So this is your, really your kind of your first time? We were like, yeah. And he he was like, great, can I give you some help? This is the way I think that you should ride the trail. You should start on this path and then cut over here to this shortcut, and then this will take you to the roller coaster, and then you can kind of go around here. And so he kind of gave us some guidance on how to actually follow the path. And Nick and I head out, and it was a much better experience, right? I got to ride the roller coaster, which was awesome. If you're a mountain biker, it's a great section of trail. It's fun. We found jumps. We found all sorts of things, and it was, it was a great day of riding. And it was amazing to me just the difference in that moment with having someone who could guide me in the right direction who could look and say, hey, this is where you want to go. This is what this journey is going to look like. This, this is what you need to pay attention to. This, this is the resources that you have because there were trail markers that we could follow. You know, as a pastor for, for a number of years now, what I've often found is that the journey of following Jesus at times can be a challenging one. Oftentimes we can feel the call to follow him, to actually walk and live in line with who he is and, and what he says. But many people, it's easy in the journey of following Jesus to kind of start off with a high enthusiasm. Oh man, I want to experience this. Oh, I've heard this. But 
Suddenly we meet the challenges of life. We, we meet the challenges of things that come our way that kind of throw us off to think, wait, I didn't think this was going to be the case. I, I didn't think this is where the trail was going to lead. I, I didn't think this life event was what it really meant to actually follow Jesus. And, and oftentimes we can be disoriented. And oftentimes those are the moments where we can feel like, man, I, w- I wish I had a guide. I wish I had something that could help me navigate what it looks like to actually walk the journey of discipleship and what it actually means to follow Jesus despite all the challenges of life, the twists and turns, the times where the trail goes in directions that we don't necessarily think or expect that it's going to go. Well, the good news for us is that Jesus knew that it would be often challenging to follow him. And so when he walked this earth and he took time to train his disciples, those that followed after him, he gave them, of sorts, a guide, a a way to think about what life would be like following Jesus in the midst of the challenges of the world that we live in. And in fact, Jesus' last teaching before he would go to the cross, he would take time to help his disciples to say, hey, this is what you can expect as you follow Jesus me in light of my death, resurrection, and ascension. He would point out trail markers and resources. He would help them see a map to say, this is actually what life can be like when you follow after me. And so this morning, we're going to kick off a series over the next 10 weeks that we're calling the Follower's Trail Guide, where we want to take time to learn from this specific teaching of Jesus to help us, as we seek to follow him, know what it means to actually navigate life when it gets challenging, when there's twists and turns, to actually find a guide that can help us to say, oh, you're facing this? Well, here's what Jesus means in light of that. Here's the resources that are available. This is what you can do. And so we're going to study through a passage of scripture that's known over the next 10 weeks as the Farewell Discourse. Like I said, it's Jesus' last teaching before he would head to the cross. And it's found in John 13 all the way through John 16. We're just going to look at one section today. But I want to kind of invite you, if you've been looking for a guide in the journey of following Jesus or understanding more even this morning of what that means, we're going to look at a great passage of Scripture this fall to help us do that. Now, in order to understand a little bit of where we're going in this section, I need to help you understand a little bit about the book of John. John was a follower, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, and he wrote this book. It's often referred to as a gospel, which just means good news about Jesus. And John has actually written this book that we're going to study with a very specific purpose. He actually gives the whole purpose for why he recorded the events of Jesus and why he's written them the way he has at the very end of the book. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen for a moment. But John actually gives us a purpose statement for why he's written his gospel. This is what he says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Unique of all the gospel writers, John gives us a very specific purpose for why he has written what he has written. And he says, it's because I want you to believe in Jesus so that you may have life in his name. 
His focus is really twofold. He says it. The first thing is he wants you to come to understand who Jesus is. John believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised anointed king of God sent to save the world and that he in fact is God's son. And John actually spends the book, if you read through all the gospel, he sends the book highlighting specific signs in Jesus' ministry that point to the reality that he is in fact the Messiah, the one that God had promised. And John's goal in that is he wants you to trust in Jesus, to believe that he is who he says he is and that he's done what he ultimately has said he would do. But he doesn't want you to just believe in one sense and then move on in your life. John also wants you, as he says, to believe in such a way that you would experience life in the name of Jesus. He wants you to experience the transformation that Jesus has for all of us that happens when we trust in him. He wants you to not just believe once, but to remain in that place of trusting Jesus, following him amidst the challenges of life. And so John sends the first half of the book giving you these signs to highlight this is who Jesus is. But he spends the second half of the book then saying, and this is what it looks like to actually believe in him and follow him in the world. And that's really the section that we're going to look at. But it's, it's important for you to know that all throughout this, John's trying to give you that purpose. He wants you to believe in Jesus, but he wants that belief to be something you continue in, you remain in, you follow in the midst of your your life. And so that's kind of the purpose of John. So John begins the second half of his book in John chapter 13. And he uses this section as a guide to help us in our belief and following of Jesus. But before he gives us all the pointers of this is what it looks like to follow him, this is what it means, these are the resources that are available, John first begins this back half of his book by highlighting for us who Jesus is. Because of all the things that he wants to see in the reality of what it means to follow Jesus, he first wants you to see that Jesus paves the way for you to follow. That Jesus actually goes ahead of you on the trail and he sets the example and he sets what it looks like to actually follow after him. And so these first 20 verses of John that we're going to look at today highlight this reality of Jesus. So we've already read a few of them, but let's kind of dig back in, and I want you to see this from the text together. So I'm just going to kind of read through and pick up some highlights along the way. So back with me, John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It says this, Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, in many ways, this verse serves as kind of the thesis statement of the back half of John's book. It signifies actually a transition in his writing. If you would take time to read through the first 12 chapters of John, what you would see is Jesus often in those chapters repeats, my hour is coming, my hour is coming, my hour is coming. Jesus' reference to the hour is in the book of John is a reference to when he will die on the cross, rise again, and then ascend to the Father. But here in John chapter 13, it says Jesus knew that his hour had come. So John is actually makes a shift in his book to say, hey, his, his hour is actually here. And so now we need to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in light of that. John goes on to say that Jesus knew that part of his hour was he was going to depart from the world. That he was not only going to die and rise again, but he would ascend to be with his heavenly father and that that means that his disciples would have to learn what it looked like to live in light of what Jesus was ultimately going to do. That event of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension essentially becomes the focus of John's 13 through 20. 
But in the midst of that, John makes kind of two key notes about Jesus. First, he notes that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. His own in the book of John are those that would follow him. Not only his primary disciples that we see in the book, but any that ultimately would make the choice to trust and follow Jesus. But the text highlights that although Jesus' hour has come and he was going to go to be with the Father, his followers would actually remain in, in the world. And so they were going to have to continue in that reality. But the note goes on to say Jesus loved his followers to the end. He loved them to the full extent of both the end of his ministry when he would culminate in the death of the cross, but he would also love them to the end when he would bring them into glory with himself. In many ways, this kind of opening verse sets the trajectory for the guide that Jesus is going to give for us to follow. One commentator puts it this way. It says, this statement lays out for us the trajectory of Jesus when it says his hour had come to depart to the Father. But it also shows us his heart having loved his own and his goal, that he would love them to the end. So this verse kind of sets up what's going to come. Have you, have you ever um, maybe opened a map or a guide, and usually sometimes in the opening kind of page, there's a, the phrase that says, read this first, right? You, you ever done that? You kind of open, it's like, read this. You're like, oh, but this is probably important. This probably means something and kind of gives you some instructions for how that guide's going to work, what it's about, maybe some sort of statement of the purpose of it. In, in many ways, the opening of John chapter 13, the first verse, is like the read this first section. It's like, hey, this is what Jesus is about. This is what these sections of verses are going to be about. It's about Jesus' trajectory, his love for his disciples, and how he's going to help them continue on faithfully until the end. John wants us to pay attention. And through all of it, what he wants us to see is that Jesus ultimately then paves the way. He wants you to see that Jesus sets the tone for what is going to come. And John then, in the next set of verses, is going to lay out three ways in which Jesus paves the way for us that we can follow. We see the first one come right away in verse 2 as John continues in the setting when he writes, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So John introduces the scene with some tension. Someone's going to betray Jesus, one of his followers. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. One of the things we see right at the beginning of this back half of John's gospel is that Jesus really paves the way as a servant. The first image that John gives of Jesus in this scene is him taking the form of a servant. John makes note that Jesus is aware of his identity and he's aware of his trajectory. Right? He, he knows who he is. He knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. He knows that he's going to depart to the Father. Jesus is fully aware of who he is and what he has come to do. But then John makes the note that in light of knowing his identity and trajectory, the first posture that he takes in this scene is to serve his disciples. If, as you read through the text, it's interesting. He's kind of giving you all this background. It's during supper. This guy's going to betray him. Jesus knows who he is and what he's about. But all of a sudden, he kind of then gives you a series of actions, very tangible actions 
right? You kind of hear him. He rose. He laid aside. He ties a towel. He pour, it's like he zooms. Like, you know how on your phone you can take a video and then there's like the slow-mo option and it like slows the whole scene down for a minute and you kind of see the actions in detail? This is like John's slow-mo moment in the text. He's kind of like, hey, pay attention to all these things Jesus is doing here. Right, that he's rising, putting on this towel, taking off his outer garment, and, and then ultimately choosing to wash his disciples' feet. Now what's startling about that is that Jesus actually does something that we see nowhere else in ancient literature. That he, as Lord, as King, as Messiah, as Superior, and even as Master of his disciples, puts himself in a place of serving them by washing their feet. Now, foot washing in our context, we're so far removed from that reality that I don't think sometimes we can fully grasp exactly what it means that Jesus would lower himself to the place of a servant to wash the feet of his disciples. But in in ancient households, this is not just the lowest position in the house. This is actually the lowest position that you could take in society. So in ancient households, there were even servants that would not wash people's feet. Actually, in Jewish households, it said that they would never allow another Jewish servant to wash the feet of somebody that came into the house, that that was only reserved for Gentiles because it was such a low position for someone to take. So you have to picture this scene that John's trying to paint for you. Here's Jesus in all his majesty come to save. He's going to go back to the Father. His plan is falling. His hour has come. And the very first thing he does in light of what's going to come is he takes the very lowest position in society and he begins to wash the feet of his followers. I tried a little bit this week to think about what, what's a modern equivalent? Like what's some way I can help you understand really the low position that Jesus takes? But the reality is there isn't one. I mean, I can't even picture something in our society that that's, is that low of a position because that's how degrading it would be to be someone that washes their disciples' feet. And as I said, this is unparalleled in the stories of ancient literature. In fact, one commentator says this. He says, Jesus' actions remain unparalleled in ancient literature for no other master, superior, condescends to perform this act for a support subordinate. By this act, Jesus violates social customs to such a degree that there is no fitting comparison. Jesus begins his final steps of ministry by taking the position of a servant. And what John wants to help you see is, as Jesus sets the way and paves the way for us to follow, this is where he begins, by serving his followers. In many ways, John is setting up at the beginning of the back half of his book what will ultimately come at the end of his book, which is the work of Jesus serving those that would follow him by dying on the cross for their sins. For as low of a position as washing someone's feet was in that society, It was equally as degrading to die on a cross, to be hung as a criminal by the Romans. And so what John wants us to see at the very beginning is the ministry of Jesus is a way in which he comes to serve us. One commentator makes the note that this act of Jesus watching his feet is an epitome of his whole life. 
that this is an image of what Jesus ultimately has come to do, which is to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many, which what Luke would say. So Jesus lays aside his ordinary clothing. He girds himself with a towel. He takes up a wash basin and he washes the feet of his disciples, picturing for us what he ultimately does in laying aside his divinity, as Philippians 2 said, taking on the form of a servant, coming and dying in our place for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve so that we ultimately could be cleansed. Here in this, we see the picture and reminder that Jesus has come to serve us in a way that will seem horrific to the world around us, but actually is the power of salvation. And John introduces us again to the person and work of Jesus, that he is the Lord who has come to serve by dying on a cross so that we might be saved. But the question then becomes, how do we respond to the actions of Jesus' work of serving? That's really what the next set of verses help us to see, that in the response of the disciple, it gives us a picture of how we're to actually respond to the work and act of Jesus in his service. Look, look at what happens in verse 6. So it says, he came to Simon Peter. So he's going around washing his disciples' feet, and he, he comes to Peter. And Peter's the loudmouth disciple. He's the one who always says the wrong things, right? He always puts, I mean, that's why I probably identify with Peter a little bit. Like, he's just always the guy that talks first and thinks second. But, but Jesus comes to Peter, and they have this dialogue in this moment. Look, look what happens. So it says, he came to Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? That, that, that in our language, that sounds a little bit like, oh, you're going to wash it. Like, there's actually got kind of a feeling of like, like, no, like, you can't do this. Like, this, this, this is, there's like an, a kind of alarmed or heightened response here. He, he can't fathom for a moment that Jesus would actually wash his feet. He, he would never, ever in his life had seen this taking place before, that a superior would wash the feet of someone who was his disciple. And Jesus responds with this. He says in verse 7, Jesus answered, and what, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus' response is, pay attention, that there's something deeper going on here. I, I need you to note what's happening. But P Peter doesn't get it, right? So he responds in verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 8. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Like, no, no way. There, there's no way that this is going to happen or that I'm going to allow you to put yourself in that position for me. Jesus then responds very clearly with a key point for us where he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus' words are startling here, but again, he's trying to point us to the deeper reality of what his act of washing their feet actually represents, which is his servanthood towards humanity. What we're, we're introduced to in the response of Peter is one of humanity's great responses often to the work of Jesus who comes to serve us by dying on our behalf, which is rejection. We naturally, in our pride, like Peter, when we look at Jesus, say like, well, no, no, you're not going to do that. Like, you're, you're, you're not, that, that's not what I need. There's no way I'm going to let you, you do that for me. And oftentimes, we struggle with the servant place that Jesus takes towards us because of our own pride. Some of us reject the servant work of Jesus in his death and resurrection because we don't think we need it. Like Peter, we're like, no, you're not doing that. I'm fine. I'm good. I'll wash my own feet. I got this taken care of. I don't need you to come in and do something. I, I can figure it out on my own. 
Some of us, we don't allow Jesus to serve us because we don't think we're worthy of it. Like, you're not going to put yourself in that position towards me, Jesus. There's no way. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. That's not something that I'm going to allow happen for me. Some of us don't allow Jesus to serve us because we don't think we've earned it. Like Peter, we're like, I don't deserve that. There's no way I'm going to allow you in the position of superiority that you are to humble yourself below me. But Jesus' response to Peter is clear, and it's clear to all of us. Unless there's a willingness to allow him to serve us and cleanse us, then we can't be part of him. Until we're willing to embrace the posture of humility that says, yes, Jesus, I need you to serve me. I need what you've done to bring cleansing to my life. I can't earn that on my own or achieve that on my own or find the path on my own until we're willing to come to that place of humility and accept what he's done on our behalf. Then we don't experience the joy of what it means to be saved by him and to be united to him. So that's why he says, if, you don't, if I don't let you wash me, if, I, if you don't let me wash you, Peter, then, then you don't have a part in me. This, this isn't how my kingdom works. The path of following Jesus begins with a posture of humility, accepting his work on our behalf. And that's what he's trying to show his disciples. That in some ways, them receiving the foot washing now is only preparing them to receive his greater act of dying on their behalf that is to come. Well, Peter's response, and he, he kind of clicks for him for a second. And so Peter, I love, uh, Peter's my favorite. He says right this, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's like, oh man, if I need washed, let's go. Let's just dump the bucket on me. Let's wash it out, right? Like, let's, let's, let's go. He's all in at this point. And Jesus, again, his response is so gracious. He's like, Peter, you're, you're missing it, right? Like, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. See, what he's trying to say is, Peter, listen, you've, you've trusted and you've begun to follow me. So, so what I'm doing here is I'm setting something for you as an example that you're ultimately going to follow, and we'll see that in a second. But like, ultimately, you're clean, not because I just wash your feet here. You're clean because you, you follow me, because you trust me. He's, he's trying to get him to connect to the deeper spiritual, spiritual reality that comes when we trust in Jesus. He's like, if you followed me, you've been cleansed. You don't need to be cleansed again. They had trusted Jesus, and there were, they were clean. But John makes the note, not all of them had trusted Jesus. There was one of them who wasn't clean. There was one of them who was set to betray him. And John continues to bring up Judas as a, as a contrast to those who've trusted in Jesus, experienced that cleansing, who've received his servant work, and those who haven't, and continue to stand against him. But the imagery is clear. To follow Jesus begins by receiving his sacrificial service for us. Ultimately, that comes in the cross. And then it's to live in the reality continually of that. That's why Jesus invites Peter to the continued ongoing washing of his feet. Faith here is not pictured as just a one-time reality. I put my, G my faith in Jesus. I'm good. I'm cleansed. I move on with my life and do whatever else I want. What's pictured here in the path that Jesus sets for us is that faith is receiving his servant work for us, but then continuing in that place to allow him to continue that work in us and through us. That faith is a continuing faith, not just, oh, I did that, now I move on. That's the path. That's the picture. 
That's what it means to follow Jesus, to trust in his saving work, his cleansing work, but then to continue in that journey as he grows us to be more like him. In many ways, what we're going to celebrate in a few minutes together, which is the act of baptism, is an incredible image of what Jesus is portraying for us here. Baptism is a means by, and we have the tub set up here, we're going to celebrate a couple uh, people getting baptized in a little bit, but the image of baptism is an image of identifying with Jesus' serving us. When someone comes to, to get baptized, they're publicly professing before you, as we'll see today, to say, I identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. I've put my trust in him. And so what we do symbolically as an external uh, showing of what's taken place inside is those that are baptized are then put under the water as an image that we identify with Jesus' death for our sins, that he has taken our old self, our sinful self, our broken self into the grave, and then we bring them out of the water, symbolizing we're raised to new life in him. We're cleansed. The water washes away our old self, and it brings us to this new place of Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of identification. But just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're not going to struggle in your journey. It doesn't mean you're not going to have moments where you stray from what it means to follow Jesus and actually go a different way or, or reject ultimately his, his word. But what it reminds us of is that we've been cleansed in Jesus and he's continuing to clean us all the way through and through. Right? It's, it's an image to say this is where the journey begins, but it's portraying the work that Jesus is doing fully and finally in us. Yeah, we're going to struggle, but the good news is we're cleansed. In Jesus, we, we've been, if we put our faith in him, we've been made new. And that's incredible. That's why John would write a letter to the churches later and in 1 John 1, 9 would remind us if you confess your sins, if you acknowledge your sinfulness and the need for Jesus to serve you by dying for your sins, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the work that he does on the cross on your behalf. And what we do then is we simply receive that. And so what John reminds us here is as we begin the journey of following Jesus, the question is, have you let Jesus serve you by confessing your sins before him, by trusting in him alone to save you from the choices that you've made and the decisions that have brought you and set you apart from a holy God? Have you trusted his cleansing work to wash you clean, that his death pays for your sins and that he's risen again and offers to you new life? In many ways, the invitation to Peter is a picture to the invitation to all of us to say, Jesus, I need you to come wash me. And I need to continue and remain in that journey and walk as I follow after you. Jesus paves the way for us by his cleansing. But then, in light of this, so that's where it has to start. And that's what John reminds us of. We respond to the servant work of Jesus by trusting in that and receiving his cleansing work over our lives. But what John also wants us to see is there's a second part to how we respond to Jesus' work as a servant. And this is what we pick up in verse 12. He says this, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So Jesus is saying, hey, do you guys get this? Do you get, do you get what this means? And he says, you're right, I, I am. I mean, Jesus, full, this is where he says it. Like, I'm Lord and I'm teacher. Like, I'm, I am who I say I am, right? He, Jesus very clearly makes the claim. But this is then he goes on to say, if I then, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. You see, what it means to respond to the servant work of Jesus is first to receive his servant work on our behalf, but then second, to follow his example towards serving others. Because Jesus paves the way as an example for us to follow. As we receive his serving of us, we will turn and seek to serve those around us. And that's what Jesus tries to show the disciples. Listen, if I'm your Lord and teacher, and that's right, I am. I'm God. I am who I said I am. I'm above you guys. That's the truth. Jesus is king. There's no one else on par with him. But if I would put myself in a position to serve you, then to follow me is not only to receive that, but to follow that example in serving those around you. And Jesus makes it very clear what that service looks like. One, it begins with other followers of Jesus. He says that you would wash one another's feet. That part of the journey of following Jesus and following his example is serving the family of God that is around you. Christianity is not a solo enterprise. You cannot follow Jesus on your own. You can't wash one another's feet if you're not around one another. That's just the reality of it. And so what Jesus invites us to is to say, trust me, as you trust me, you're brought into this community, this incredible family, and your first response is, how do I serve that family? How do I love that family? How do I care for that family? How do I wash the feet and put myself in the lowest position towards that family to lift others up around me? So Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do this. And then he goes on to reemphasize that. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So as a reminder, hey, if I'm doing this, you're doing this. That's the way. That's the path that you're to follow. Now, John then gives us, or Jesus gives us his diatribe again towards Judas, to those that would reject his serving of them. And he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Right? He's like, hey, listen, there's going to be some that are going to reject you, and I'm telling you that so you'll know actually who I am. Not everybody's going to receive what I have to offer. And you need to know that and recognize that. But then he says this, and here's a key point in the passage, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Now that's an incredible statement towards the disciples. Right? Hear it again. Truly, truly. Jesus loves to use that line in the, in the Gospel of John when he's saying something that's contrary to our intru- intuition. He's like, hey, this might not feel right, but this is actually the reality of the kingdom. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, who's that going to be? Well, it's going to be his disciples. When you fast forward to the end of Jesus after his resurrection, Jesus stands before his disciples and he says, even as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so Jesus is preparing them now. You're going to be sent on my behalf. You're going to be sent on mission into the world to be my representatives, to share the good news about who I am and what I have come to do to serve the world through my death and resurrection. And it's amazing their position that they're in. Look, he says, whoever receives the one I send receives who? Receives me. Think about this, follower of Jesus. Those that receive you receive Jesus because you represent him. And not only that, the one who receives Jesus receives the one who sent me, which is the Father. Now that's an incredible position to think that you and I, if we follow and put our faith in Jesus, we're sent in the world as Jesus' representatives. So when people encounter us and the good news that we share with them of Jesus, they also receive Jesus. And in receiving Jesus, they get to encounter the living God of all creation. What an amazing high position. What an amazing calling. What a mission that we're given. But Jesus wants to remind you, that's why you have to serve. 
You're not given that position to lord it over everyone. You're not given that position to be like, look at us. We're the Christians. We're awesome. We're Jesus people. No, you're given that position so you can follow my example to go into the world and serve, to lay your life down, to lift up others around you, to say, how do I, in the places that God leads me, how do I follow Jesus' example of taking the lowest position? How do I put myself in the place of a servant in the way that he served me and in so doing can demonstrate the reality of the good news of a king that loves us enough to die on our behalf? So he says, you're to follow my example. What it means to follow Jesus is to also receive who I am and trust who I am, but it's also to then follow my example and do what I've done by serving those around you. And in many ways, John begins this path by giving us what it actually looks like to trust Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to exploring, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? What does that mean? What is Christianity all about? John gives you the image here. It's two things. It's receiving the work of Jesus on your behalf that you could never do. It's trusting his death for your sins and his resurrection. It's saying, I can't cleanse myself. I need Jesus to cleanse my life, and I trust him as my Lord and Savior. But it's also then to follow his example and do what he has called us to do in serving both one another and out in the world. It's twofold. We receive him, and we live following his example. Maybe you can think of it like this. I'll, I'll close, close with this illustration. So uh, for 37 years... I have been a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm originally from Northeast Ohio. I've loved the Browns my entire life until this past offseason when the Browns made a decision to pay the largest contract to a quarterback that they never should have, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons for. But at some point, I had to face the reality of my own sinfulness in my team and say, what am I going to do about this? And I decided I, I, I don't think I can be a Browns fan this year. Maybe there'll be a time down the road, but I can't support a team that would do that right now. So I decided I'm going to be a Lions fan. Now, here's the good news. I have 37 years of pain, frustration, and disappointment, so I've been well-trained on what it means to be a Lions fan. So I decided I'm going to be a Lions fan this year. We're going to make that my number one team. I've been following on training camp. I've been watching. Now, what, what does it actually look like for me to be a Lions fan? Well, one, I've got to identify with the team. I've got to start to say, this, this is my team. This is who I'm with. This is who I'm going to follow. This is, this is the path I'm going to walk. So I'm with my friends a few weeks ago. We're having a conversation. I think it was after the first Hard Knocks thing about the Lions. And I said, man, your guys' defense is suspect. And they looked at me and they say, don't you mean our defense is suspect? I was like, you're right. You're right. I've got to change. Our defense is suspect. I'm excited about our offense, but that's a whole other discussion, right? So, so that there's the step of identification. This is my team. This is my jersey. This is who I'm going to follow. So if you were here last year, you knew I had a Baker Mayfield jersey on, and I preach. And already this morning, people are like, you got a Lions jersey on. What's going on? This is my team this year, right? This is who I'm going to follow. With all the pains of it, that, that's the first step of what it looks like to be a Lions fan. But the second step is I now have to learn the ways of being a Lions fan. So I've had to have the conversations, and I'm still having the conversations. What do the Lions do when they score a touchdown? Apparently there's some song they sing that I have no idea what the words are and what that even looks like. Some of you do. I need to learn that song. What do they do when they have a first down? What are the traditions when you go to the stadium? What does it actually look like to live as a Lions fan? Right? That, that's what true fandom is. It's not just saying, oh, I'm a Lions fan because I put a jersey on. It's actually then learning all the ways of being a Lions fan. That's what... 
what John's trying to say. That's the beginning point of following Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus, the first step is to say, yeah, I'm with him. I'm putting the jersey on. I'm receiving his work. I'm trusting in who he is, that he is Lord, that he is Savior. But it isn't I just put the jersey on and then I go do whatever I want. I go live however I am. I keep being a Cleveland Browns fan. It's saying now i got to learn the ways of what it means to follow Jesus. i got to learn to serve. i got to learn to follow his example. i got to hear his call to go out into the world. i got to learn how to serve one another in the church. And what John's going to spend over the next four chapters through Jesus' teaching is what that path looks like. But the beginning point that he invites you to today is to say, will you follow Jesus? Will you put the jersey on and will you begin to learn the ways of what it means to be Team Jesus? And what we want to invite you to do this morning is if you've never done that, to take that step. To say, I trust in Jesus and I want to follow him and learn his ways. And what we're going to invite you to do at the end of the service is if, you, if that's a step you want to take, man, I'm going to be right down here after service and I would love to talk with you and pray with you and help you know what it looks like to follow the ways of Jesus. But what we're going to do now is we're going to celebrate together some people who've taken that step, who've put that jersey on and who are learning to live out the way of Jesus. But before we do that, let me pray for us and then we'll celebrate that together. So, Father God, thank you so much for your incredible love. We remember even the earlier words of John where he says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus, we remember in this moment that you came sent by the Father to serve. Not only were you willing to take the humble position of washing the disciples' feet, it would only foreshadow your greater work of serving us by dying on our behalf. And so we want to come this morning first just saying thank you that you would do that for us. Thank you that you would be the sort of God that would lower yourself to take on humanity to do what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you that you've cleansed us, that you've washed us, that you, you've done what we so desperately need and now are empowering us to learn what it looks like to follow you. Help us to do that. Even now as we prepare to hear these stories and testimonies, would you work to help us to see more clearly who you are and what you have done. May all of us continue in the journey of following hard after you. We ask this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.